The Paul Leslie Hour, helping people tell their stories. And now, your host, Paul Leslie. Hey, it's me. Hello, and welcome to the Paul Leslie Hour. Thank you for tuning in. Before we get into the interview, I would be honored if you would consider going to thepaulleslie.com and clicking support the show. There are quite a number of things I want to accomplish with the Paul Leslie Hour, and you can help me get more of these interviews out there to the masses. It only takes a moment, and it makes a world of difference. Last but not least, tell someone about the Paul Leslie Hour. Let them know in whatever way you can. And now, let's get into the interview. Paul Leslie. Don McLean. Yes, here we are. Well, I can't wait to talk to you. I'm honored to talk to you. Well, it's very kind of you to say, and I really appreciate it. Thank you very much for saying that. Well, ladies and gentlemen, it's a very special occasion. We're celebrating the 50th anniversary of one of the most important American albums. I'm talking, of course, about American Pie. It's an album that has endured. It's much beloved, me included. We're welcoming back Don McLean. This is our first video interview. Thank you so much for joining us, America's Troubadour, Don McLean. Thank you for having me. Pleasure to be here. You know, the first time we talked was 10 years ago, and we were doing a show to commemorate the 40th anniversary of this album. And here we are, 50th. Uh, that's interesting. Well, we didn't make much of a deal out of it. This is huge now. I mean, I've got a documentary movie and a children's book and the home free acapella version of American Pies number one on all the uh, country video charts. So this is a you know, from my perspective, this is a, you know, we're making a lot of hay here in the, uh, in 2021, the 50th anniversary of the release of that album. However, there will be uh, a lot more 50th anniversaries of some very good music. You know, Tapestry, the Carol King album is 50 years old, and there'll be other celebrations of these works of art that um, you'll never hear the like of these again. I mean, you're not going to ever have this again. Hmm. Well, well, kind of you to mention uh, some the other artists there. Thank you. So, Don, has the meaning of American Pie to you, it's been 50 years since it has been released, has the meaning changed at all for you? No, I still see America as, um, you know, I still see the song as heading in, in, in a certain direction that is not, the right direction. And I thought back in 1970, it was that way. And I still think it's that's way now. Um, hmm. We've let uh, 40 years of opportunity pass us by when we could have saved the environment. And now it's almost unsavable. Um, we're in a situation where, uh, which is almost like um, uh, the middle ages, really, where um, accusation can destroy a person. Mm. rather than evidence and and a jury. All someone has to do is say, oh, they did that to me, and two more people say it, and nope, you're out. Look what happened to, I don't know if I can say this on your show, but Dave, um, um, 
Chris Matthews, all he did was say some nice things. He thought he was being cute. Boom, out. You know, that's medieval. Yeah. That's fascist. That's wrong. And that's got to change. Something that I have felt from you in all the times I've interviewed, but but also the times I've listened to you being interviewed by other people, you are clearly someone who is not afraid to speak his mind. You're a free-thinking man. Well, I'm an American. I'm what you're supposed to be anyway if you are. It's called free speech. Yeah. <laughs> and Beautifully I stated. adhere to that. Um, I went to a you know, I went to a college called Iona College in Nourishell, which was run by Irish Christian brothers. They were very conservative. But still, we had Muhammad Ali on the campus when he refused to be inducted in the army. We had H. Rap Brown. We had Father Coffin, uh, whatever his name was, one of the um, f- a priests that was uh, fighting against the government. We had all sorts of, of interesting intellectual people of all points of view. Hmm. And we were a very conservative school. We weren't Oberlin or Bard or one of these colleges that's very left-wing and very, you know, and like that. No. But all college should have been that way. Instead, you now have major schools like Yale University who will not discuss certain topics. They're, they say, nope, those topics are closed. They're not, they are no longer open for discussion. Well, I would never send a kid of mine to Yale, even if he could get in because of that. <laughs> yeah. I mean it. You know, I was listening today to all these different versions of American Pie that yeah. have been recorded. And there's a new one. I've listened to instrumental versions. I've listened to the Garth Brooks version. But now there's this version, Home Free. Mm-hmm. Tell us about what you thought of their perspective on the song. Well, two things I learned. Number one is that there is a growing appetite on the part of uh, young people, and maybe they're just young folks in country, for acapella music, which I think is fantastic. I did not know this. My manager, Kurt Webster, said to me, there's this great r- group called Home Free, and they're part of a, a number of other groups, but they're really near the top, and this American Pie version may put them at the top. I hope it does. And they're doing this, and they're doing very well. They sell out halls, and people love what they do. And they'd like to do a version of your song. I said, well, great. Um, I'll, I'll participate however you want. So I then heard what they did, and I thought, you know, I mean, I could have heard it and said, well, I don't think I want to do this. You know, it's not for me. But I said, boy, they really are good. And, uh, you know, when you hear this, it's eight and a half minutes, just like the song. You don't miss the instrumentation. The instrumentation is missing, but you don't miss it. It's full and it's happening, you know, the whole time. So I was astounded. And then, much to my delight, it became commercially successful on all the iTunes charts and now the country video charts. And my song, my album, and my version of the song is getting played like crazy, and theirs is getting played like crazy. And um, lots and lots of good comments, thousands and thousands of nothing but good comments from people. It's really, it's, it's incredible. I hope everybody out there checks it out. You know, there's 
so many great songs on the American Pie album. I watched when it came out the exchange that you had with Tucker Carlson, which you want to talk about an interview that's five minutes long where so much was said in such a short period of time. But he mentioned kind of in passing that he considered Winterwood one of the best songs. And that's a song, it's so evocative in terms of nature. I invented that word, Winterwood. That's not a word that was, I invent words sometimes. And that's a word that I invented. And um, there are a number of songs on that record. Vincent came out right after American Pie. And that immediately ended the question of whether or not I was a one-hit wonder. Because immediately I had a number one record and a top three record in the United States. So there's two hits right there. And then, you know, Babylon ended up becoming re-recorded by people by the waters of Babylon. Um, The Grave was used by George Michael, and he sang it so beautifully with orchestration as a protest against the invasion of Iraq, and I couldn't have been more happy about it. And I was touched by his version, which was way better than mine. And if one thing has endured in my life, I am anti-war. When you when you have a military-industrial complex that needs to beat up on small countries in order to find theaters of war so you can try out the new things that you've developed, you're not headed in the right direction. So if you ask me about America and the song American Pie, hence, I don't think America's headed in the right direction when that's what they're doing. Because, you know, you, you, you've got to wonder why we have so many enemies. <laughs> if we were out there being good to people, you know, as we sometimes were in the 1950s, I mean, we rebuilt Europe after World War II. Usually um, people who are who win wars, don't go rebuilding the enemy, but we did because we were very decent people and we didn't want any more war. And Roosevelt wanted the League of Nations, which became the United Nations. And we haven't had another world war, you know, but still to to take these countries that, that the military may think are insignificant in order to, is sinful. And it's not good. And so this is what we've allowed to happen. And then we, of course, allowed the environment to completely deteriorate from the last 40 years. And uh, we've, we've done a lot of very simple things. I don't know if people realize it, but um, during the time of this pandemic, because so little energy was being used and so cars were being used very infrequently that the ozone hole that everybody was all worried about is actually closed up during this year there's no hole anymore hmm. and what could you have a better test to find out whether or not we're responsible than when you shut everything down for a year it goes away <laughs> hmm. they don't tell you that but i know what i've read that that's i know that's happened on that note of, of nature, how important has the natural world been in terms of your creation? 
Well, I never wanted to live in cities. I mean, I love New York, and when I go there, I have, you know, I enjoy four or five days. It's a place to shop. It's a place to eat. It's a place to go at Christmas and Thanksgiving and see beautiful storefronts and back the way it used to be. Right now, it's gone through a big uh, a downward slide, but uh, it'll come back. But uh, I was always um, a woods guy. You know, I like the woods and the hills and the lakes and the streams. And I'm now in my third and last phase of my life which is the desert phase. And I like the, I'm out here in the desert and uh, I like desert modern and Palm Springs has wonderful homes that are, that are all low and desert modern and uh, all the accoutrements that go with that, you know, the, the interesting furniture and, you know, Fiesta wear and so on. So I love architecture, and um, so here I am now uh, out out west. Ah, so you're in the southwest, in the desert. Yes, I'm in Palm near Palm Springs. Ah, interesting. You know, one of my favorite memories of ever seeing American Pie being performed. I was down in Key West, Florida, and there was this tropical music kind of Jimmy Buffett-like festival. And I've, if I've ever seen a unifying song, there was the last night and the, this band played American Pie and everybody had their glow sticks and they were waving along. Is that a song that you have found? I mean, it's one of these songs that just everybody knows American Pie. What is it like from your perspective when you look out? You're the man who wrote it. You're the man who sings it. What's it like from your perspective when you look out and you see the people, the faces? Well, I can't describe it really. I mean, you know, so I say nobody's really had a life anything like mine. <laughs> you know, I've, I've I've sung everywhere and under all sorts of circumstances. I. I loved it. I've sung in large. I've sung small. I've sung at the foot of the uh, Lincoln Memorial to 600,000 people in the waiting pool looking at the Washington Monument. You know, I've sung in Central Park with a million people. I've drew 150,000 people to Hyde Park in 1975 on my own. I've just done so many things. I And I keep just doing what I always did, whatever... You know, I'm 75 years old. If something occurs, I'll be there. You know, some interesting uh, festival or show or I just keep moving forward. And you don't know what, you know, what's going to happen. But the one thing I never did was try to sound like anybody else, hmm. try to write like anybody else. I always tried to write and sing beautiful melodies and beautiful ideas as as i as i saw it rather than copy james taylor or bob dylan or john lennon or any of those guys i did i did something i wanted to be nobody would sound like me and nobody writes and thinks the way i do <laughs> You know, something that occurs to me is American Pie is on the 
the top five songs of the 20th century. But when you look at the other songs, they were sung by other people, but the writer and the singer were not the same. Over the Rainbow, Respect, White Christmas. You're the one that you both sang and wrote the song. And those are all my favorite songs. <laughs> They're Funny great. enough. They're all my absolute favorites. This Land is Your Land leads you into folk music and Woody Guthrie and all the songs he wrote and leads you over to Bob Dylan and leads you over to the Weavers and all my other folk people that I idolized. And then Judy Garland leads you to the Wizard of Oz and the 1930s and Hollywood and all the rest of that, which I love. Respect, I mean... It's just, you know, leads you over to Aretha Franklin and so many beautiful songs that she sang, Otis Redding. And then White Christmas is the is the capper because growing up, you know, Bing Crosby singing White Christmas was it was Christmas. You know, always. And it was a, a kind of America that it's no longer all those songs represent a kind of America that is no longer, hmm. except American Pie was talking about it. Interesting. <laughs> and you know, if you look at all those songs, I can see, I can hear rather, I can hear if you go through and listen to your discography, I can hear elements of all of those things in your music. That's right. You're hmm. very, that's a very true. Hmm. Has there been anybody you've you've sang with some really incredible singers from Nancy Griffith to Garth Brooks? Is there anybody you would like to sing with that you haven't? Well, no, no. Um, I would have loved to have sung a song with Ella Fitzgerald or you know with uh, Peggy Lee, but they're not around anymore. <laughs> I don't see anybody around now that has the um, gravitas or the the talent that would make me want to sing with them. The only person that I could think of that I would like to hear you sing with, and maybe you already did, would be Julio Iglesias. Oh, I could sing with Julio. That would be great. Yeah. I love that. You know, somebody with a beautiful voice. I love, the, in the rock and roll, you know, I always love the, the real singers, Elvis Presley and uh, Roy Orbison. Uh, Marty Robbins, those are the three that always come to my mind as the best singers. Uh, real big voices, great voices, you know, that would... Elvis was, you know, so operatic. You know, and I um, studied opera when I was 12 and tried to sing in a way that supported my tone. That's the reason I can sing now. I hope when you hear my newest record, which will come out this year called American Boys, that um, you'll hear what, how I can sing at this age because I sing from the diaphragm and not from my throat. Hmm. Well, I can't wait to hear that. It's going to be called American Boys? Yes. Okay. I know that Brian Wilson said you have a voice that could cut through steel and... You are a great singer, one of the best in American music. 
What makes a great singer a great singer? How do you define that? Well, you have to work on your voice. You know, you don't always get a voice that's just, you know, fantastic. You, you know, if you listen to Sinatra, he was always a great singer, you know, I, I, and he worked on it somewhat, you know, but he had this marvelous ability. And, but a lot of us are not. You have to work on this. You have to do vocal exercises. You have to, you can enlarge your voice. Your voice is a muscle. So the more you exercise it and treat it right, you can maintain its elasticity and uh, its and and build on its strength, because so much of the voice has connecting muscles here that control the voice box. And if you strain your voice, you'll you'll feel pain in your neck here because you've strained these muscles that hold the voice. So you have to make sure that. You know, you all, it's like weightlifting in a way. I mean, these, these uh, opera singers can almost be compared to, you know, weightlifters because when they go bad and they hit a bad note and they tear their voice up, they can't sing for like a year because mm. that's how much pressure is on those muscles and everything. So any singer needs to learn how to support the tone from the diaphragm and breathe and use air and make the tone come out easily. So I can sing very quietly and still be louder than most singers if they're trying because of the way I've trained my voice over all these years. There's a certain projection. Actually, I did a little thing on my YouTube channel about playing guitar and singing and getting the voice out of your body and getting the sound of the guitar out of the guitar. And most singers who use guitar don't do that. Um, you, they get neither the sound of the guitar or their voice out of anything. It's all inside. And um, you, you need to do about at least, in order to be ready, you need to start when you're about 14 or 15 and practice every day for many hours for about 10 years. And by practice, I mean your voice, your guitar, your arrangements, your songs, how you're doing everything. You need to then get in front of an audience in that 10 years and try this stuff out and see what happens. Learn from failing in front of people, you know, and it's, it hurts when you, you know, you don't get a response from an audience and you walk away, you know, when it didn't work out or it feels good when it does, you know, but learn how to make it feel good and learn how to avoid the things that don't work, but you have to be on stage to do that. About 10 years, and then, then you can start making records. And then if you're lucky enough to have anything that anybody wants to hear, um, then you'll be ready. But that's the big moment, you know, because when you make records, then you put it all down. This is it. You know, this is the final word on I get around or fun, 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 you know, or Vincent. That's it. No more. No more chances. <laughs> and so, you know, when you go in, you really got to know what you're doing. And, um, and you know, it's hard because you change your mind. You know, you look back on some things that you might think a, a year later and think, I wish I had done that <laughs> a little better or whatever. But 
See, if you're really a good recording artist, you don't do that because you know, you know what good is and you get it, you know. It's an art form, being a recording artist, being a performer, being a singer, being a songwriter. All of it is all different art forms. And you have to work very hard for many years to get those and learn how to do them. American Pie, the album, to me, it's one of the most perfect sounding albums. Is there anything when you listen back to it that you would have changed? Yes, I would have put uh, background voices and choral voices on Everybody Loves Me Baby. Ah. Yeah, I don't like how that sounds. I would have fixed that song up and made it and made it a little bit more punchy. Other than that, I have no other uh problems with that record at all and um it works okay, you know, without it. But uh I would have done that. A minor quibbling. I'm quibbling. <laughs> But, the, you know, the song American Pie, if you really want to understand that and, you know, get the feeling of what I was trying to do, you have to listen to the whole record. Start with the first go and go right through to the end. Do you consider American Pie to be a patriotic song in any way? Yes, because I'm an American. I love America. And I did the song because I loved America. And I, and I still love America. And I don't like people that hammer away at, at America all the time. I don't like people who think America is great no matter what. Yeah. And I don't like people who are always finding fault with America. And, you know, you have a lot of them now on the far left, and you've got a lot of those other nutcases on the far right. And neither one of them have it right. The question is, we're all Americans. We should stop using hyphenations. Yeah, You know, African-American and Mexican-American. You're American. That's mm-hmm. what you are. You gave up Mexico and you gave up Africa when you came here to be an American. And forever you're an American and be proud of it. If you hyphenate everything, you're, you're, you're fracturing it. And bring your culture with you by all means. And teach everybody else about your world. That's the point. You know, everybody should know about every other country. And when they come here, we become Americans. We're different now. You know, we're different. We have the Bill of Rights. We have the Declaration of Independence. It was interesting because I was thinking the other day about this song. You know, now they're having a lot of trouble with the national anthem. You know, people are complaining and some people are, you know, using it for a moment to protest and everything. And I I was thinking, you know, it would be really fun if I were asked to sing the national anthem. Let me find this and I'll do it. I'll tell you what I was thinking. <laughs> if, if, I, if I could, um, before I sang the song, um, if I could talk a little bit about what it means. And hmm. so let's look at this now. It says, Oh, say can you see by the dawn's early light. Now, the song is saying, it's dawn now. And the song is saying, Oh, say can you see by the dawn's early light? Do you see it? I say. What so proudly we hailed at the twilight's last gleaming. That means, do you see at the dawn what we hailed at the end of the day yesterday. Do you still see it? Hmm. 
We hailed it at the twilight of yesterday. Whose broad stripes and bright stars through the perilous fight? So the broad stripes and bright stars. So he's talking about the flag. And there was a fight. And the flag is still there in the morning. Or the ramparts we watched. Ramparts are walls that keep an army away from you. You're in a some kind of a castle or a fortress. You build these high walls. The flag was over the walls waving the night before when the enemy came to the ramparts. Or the ramparts we watched was so gallantly streaming. So the, the flag was gallantly flying or the ramparts when the enemy came to attack us. And the rocket's red glare and the bombs bursting in air gave proof through the night that our flag was still there. You see, in the morning, oh, say, can you see? There it is still. Oh, say, does that star-spangled banner yet wave or the land of the free and the home of the brave? What the flag means is that if you want to be free, you're going to have to be brave. You're going to have to fight for that. That's what it means. Hmm. So for people to, to, to protest during the national anthem is absurd. Yes. Because you, you, all those guys protesting are going to be in the army when those people come to those ramparts trying to fight for this country. It's the wrong place to do it. The flag is stands there and says, look at all the people that fought and died right or wrong so that we could have this country the way it is and we don't speak in German. That's what the flag stands for, and that's what, the, that's what it says. Isn't that interesting? Very interesting. I really appreciate that analysis. It's just the, the languages are archaic, but it's very clear. Well, Don McLean, I can tell you I'm very honored to have been able to interview you a third time now. It's been always, as always, it's always food for thought. Well, you put this up online so people can see that about the flag and the national anthem. I'd really appreciate that, even if you just put that section up so that folks could see that. I would love to. Absolutely. Well, Thank Don you McClain, very much. It's a great pleasure. All right. Good luck to you, man. All right, sir. Goodbye.